Hello and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily Talking Cardinals Baseball here with you live from Jupiter, Florida, actually at the compound in West Palm Beach where I record these episodes back at the old Airbnb. This morning I went on over to Cardinals camp, was in there for the manager session with Mike Schilt, saw a couple of bullpen sessions this morning, but after Mike Schilt had his session with the media, which took place Around 11 o'clock local time. Normally it's closer to 10 a.m., but a little bit of a delayed schedule today for the Cardinals. After Schultz wrapped up his session, though, I left and didn't stay for the workouts. Had to pick my wife up from the airport she's visiting for a few days. And so today's podcast not going to be based on a whole heck of a lot of what is going on today at camp. I do have a clip or two from Mike Schultz from this morning to play for you, as well as another listener question that is going to dominate some of the content today. And it's a relevant one, something that I've been asked about a couple of times already within the last few days on Twitter with regard to, and I think the more we see Brett Cecil uh, kind of gearing his way back toward action, the more people start to remember that he exists, remember that he's part of this team, and remember, hey, they're paying him $7.5 million. It's actually like 7.75 in this, his final year of that four-year contract that he signed. And so if he's healthy, if he's ready to go, he's going to be somebody that is probably going to get a look from the Cardinals because if they've if they've stuck with him for this long, the way I see it, you know, 2019 he didn't pitch at all. And so if they stuck with him for, for this long, all the way through the winter, to go into the spring, I would think if he shows any level of competence in spring training, he's somebody that they're going to give a lot of consideration to with regard to a roster spot. You know, if he's not hurt, you can't put him on the DL or the IL. If he's healthy, ready to go, you're going to have to make some interesting decisions. And so we'll talk about that a little bit today. But the reason I bring up Cecil right off the top, I saw him throw this morning. I had Mike Maddox looking on. I put a a quick video up on Twitter. You can find me there at bshafer12, facebook.com slash bshafer12 as well to find all my Cardinals coverage from a Facebook slant. Uh, but Mike Maddox was there watching Brett Cecil throw this morning. Look fine. Uh, you know, as we talk about, not a lot you can necessarily glean from these bullpen sessions. Carlos Martinez is another guy people like to ask about him a lot. And especially with the news of Miles Michaelis likely to miss the start of the season, uh, that's going to open up a spot in the rotation. And so that's a spot that already the Cardinals were hoping would be filled by Carlos Martinez. They're giving him every opportunity to do that and to, to prove himself and work his way back into the rotation after being the closer last year and really toward the end of 2018 transitioned into a relief role. Um, so it's been close to a year and a half of actual baseball time since we've seen Carlos Martinez in the Cardinals rotation. That's something the team wants to see happen, and so uh, another step toward that today with his bullpen session. Uh, again, hard to glean. You, you ask how'd he look. Uh, you know, you could hear some oohs and ahs, some pops of the mitt that, that definitely catch your attention that just sound a little bit different. Carlos had some of that going on, some of that going on with his his off-speed pitches as well. Getting to stand right behind him there, you can see what those pitches are doing. But then there were some pitches, too, that he obviously missed location, and you could hear a little bit of uh, grunt of frustration talking to himself to try to try to get right. And so I think that's pretty normal for what you see of pitchers this time of year and any time of year, really. They're, they're competitive guys, and we talk about Max Scherzer being a guy that will curse at himself during bullpen sessions if he misses location by by a few inches, uh, it wasn't anything like that for Carlos. But yeah, he he was definitely uh, you could tell he was engaged in the session this morning, and so those were really the only guys that I got to see do any baseball related activity today. Because then it was off to 
the patio for manager Mike Schilt. And he had a good discussion going this morning. Uh, Derek Gould asked some some questions and, and that kind of pertain to Dylan Carlson. And I think that's what everybody is wondering about is if this guy, Dylan Carlson, 20 years old, top prospect, he's an outfielder. They have an opening in the outfield with left field after Marcelo Zuna departed for the Atlanta Braves. We know a lot of the names that are involved in this discussion. Lane Thomas, Tyler O'Neill. I'm writing about Austin Dean, so I'm saying don't overlook him if he has a good spring. Could be a guy that sees some time on the big club at points this season. We know that injuries bring about scenarios that you don't necessarily envision in the middle of February, but it happens. A baseball season is long and arduous, and those are the kinds of things that do take place. But Dylan Carlson is is the kind of talent that if his spring performance dictates You'd like to see him in that starting lineup in the major leagues right off the top. Right out of the gate when the Cardinals head to Cincinnati on March 26th. You'd like to see Dylan Carlson in there if his spring dictates it. Because he has the pedigree as a prospect to where his ceiling, you know, in in, in many people's estimation, would be as high as anyone as far as that group of outfielders uh, that we're talking about with the Cardinals. Lane Thomas could be a really good player. Tyler O'Neill could be a really good player. Carlson, it just seems like, has the tools and the potential to have the highest ceiling. And so you'd like to see the payoff begin right away, if possible. But there was a lot of discussion this morning about, you know, how much time does a guy really need? And, you know, it's different than it used to be, where you used to have probably an actual set number of at-bats you'd like to see guys take in the minors or innings you'd like to see them pitch in the minors before advancing to the major league level. A lot of good discussion this morning about how things have changed and, and the game is different now than it was back, back, you know, even just five or 10 years ago and the way prospects are viewed. You see a lot of teams calling those guys up to the major leagues a lot sooner than they, than they did. It's not that uncommon to see guys at age 20 or 21, 22, uh, not only be called up to the major leagues, but almost immediately in a lot of cases install themselves as significant parts of that clubhouse and that roster and, and the production that that team can can have on the field. The success of a Juan Soto and of a Bryce Harper when he came up so young. These kinds of players, you know, they're not the norm, but there are certainly examples where you can point to and say, you know, these types of players can be significant factors for us right off the jump. Mike Schultz did pay reference to Yadier Molina catching in a World Series at age 20 back in 2004. He mentioned that today. So, you know... It, it's probably more common now than it was back in Yachty's day of making his debut, but it's certainly, you know, there was no hard and fast rule about it, but I think you can can look across the game now, and a lot of those players, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is another example. Guys are getting called up a little bit sooner and getting the opportunity to jump right onto the scene as superstars if their talent level dictates it. I don't know that Dylan Carlson's on those guys' level, but if his spring says, yeah, maybe I am, or, or maybe I have the opportunity uh, to show it, I, I deserve that chance. I think that it would be wise for the Cardinals to make that decision. It's going to be interesting. You know, Mike Schilt isn't just going to give us, you know, a hard and fast answer to say if Dylan Carlson has an OPS of this, he's on the club. Because as as Schilt always likes to say, these things don't happen in a silo. Other people's performance, other people's health, a lot that can happen with this roster will will probably impact this decision. You know, if Lane Thomas also has a great spring, he's already had some time in the majors. Do the Cardinals actually view it that he's ahead in the pecking order? Tyler O'Neill, same thing. Is he ahead in the pecking order to where if all three of them, O'Neill, Thomas, and Carlson, all have pretty good springs, pretty comparable, 
do they say, you know, well, we're going to give Carlson some more time in the minors because, you know, he needs it or because these other guys are ahead of them or have earned the opportunity to to also get a chance at that left field job. And so would that be a reason that Carlson doesn't get to start with the team? I've made the argument on this podcast, and I think I'll continue to do so, depending on you know what we actually see in real time in Grapefruit League play. But for now, I'll continue to say if Carlson has the spring that, that dictates he's a major league player and could be a, a, a positive contributor at the major league level, I think because his ceiling may be higher than, than some of those other guys, I'd be willing to let him leapfrog those guys, even if those guys also have good springs. I'm I'm looking for any reason or excuse to put Dylan Carlson into that opening day lineup. And if it doesn't, you know, if, if he has a, just a so-so spring, I'm okay with giving him a little more time. If he's not beating the door down like an Albert Pujols in 2001 or whatever the year was, then I'm okay with giving him a little bit more time. But if he does beat that door down, I think the Cardinals should open it. I think they should allow him to, to kind of have that chance to flourish. And it's going to be interesting to see. But that's kind of the conversation that took place this morning. And one of the clips I'm going to play for you here from Mike Schilt was in the context of another player, a young player, a guy who's a little bit more uh, probably further away from his big league debut, same age as Dylan Carlson, and that's Matt Libertor, age 20, left-handed pitching prospect, came over from Tampa in the deal for Arosa Reina and Jose Martinez, and that both those guys went to Tampa. So in kind of talking around this Dylan Carlson topic, uh, Mike Schilt, made a, a, a really, I think, relevant comparison to the status for Matt Libertor. And I just want to play this clip for you. It's about a minute and a half long of this answer regarding Libertor. And as you're listening to this, kind of consider, you know, okay, how could this apply potentially to Dylan Carlson, who, you know, his dad's high school coach, grew up around the game, certainly has a high baseball IQ, is praised for that by anybody who knows him and talks about him. And so if you can think of that context when listening to this clip about Libertor and how that can kind of compare for the Cardinals belief in the readiness for Dylan Carlson, I think it can be really relevant. So go ahead and give that a listen. I'm going to play that for you right here. For example, Libertor the other day, you know, not worried, but interested to see how he'd handle being the last guy of the live batting practice on the first day, mm-hmm. knowing that, I mean, there was guys hitting batting practice, but knowing the majority of you, the majority of our front office, the majority of our staff, we're going to go watch it. And, um, you know, so he draws, draws this big crowd in his first live, in his first opportunity um, to be really evaluated. And you think, well, how fair is that to Matt Libertor? How do we set that up for him? But the, fa- the point I'm making is Matt Libertor is a first-round pick who's been in, in environments like that probably since he was 16 years old. So that's, that's a normalized thing for him. Pitch in front of, doesn't matter. There's a lot of scouts, a lot of people, a lot of radar guns. We have Cody didn't have them out there the other day. But, but big crowd. Yeah. So that's, that's now the norm. Now that was something that players had to get. I'm not saying they don't still need to be used to. But players now, college baseball's popularity's grown. It's now um, in some way a revenue-generated sport. Um, the showcase environment. There's more people paying attention. There's more social media to young players. I'm not saying it's right and wrong. It's just the reality. Um, these players are used to a bigger stage before they get to the biggest stage. Mm-hmm. And so um, they're, they're more prepared for what that looks like. They're physically more trained to, to compete um, for what that looks like. So that, they're, they're able to go quicker because of it. Now- 
So when Mike Schilt is talking in these terms about Matt Libertor, you can understand how those would also apply to Dylan Carlson. I think it's going to be interesting to see. There's a service time element to it as well with talking about Dylan Carlson and do the Cardinals want to bring him up right away or do they want to try to manipulate that a little bit? Um, I think you could definitely have some pretty nice cover for you know some quote-unquote manipulation if Lane Thomas has a stupendous spring and, and hits for an OPS of 1,000 and like stakes a claim to that job. Same thing could be said if Tyler O'Neill does it, that you could, even if, you know, Carlson has like an 800 OPS, you could say, well, we've got to give the opportunity to these other guys, and we're not going to call up Carlson until he's going to play. And so if he's not going to play, we're not going to have him here. So I think that's an avenue to potentially not have him on the team. I don't know that I would agree with that avenue, uh, but, you know, you do have Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader as well that are probably, as we've said, locked into spots at least to start the year. And so, I think it's more likely that you have a six, you know, four to six week evaluation period of all those players, Fowler, Bader, you know, the opportunities that Thomas O'Neill get, Carlson could be in that mix, Edmund will be a part of it, but then you could see a totally different outfield by mid-May, by June, if there are injuries, if some of the guys are underperforming compared to other guys pushing for those opportunities. So, going to be interesting to see, but that's just kind of, uh, you know, giving an insight into the way the Cardinals are thinking about Dylan Carlson right now, they're definitely, it seems like they are trusting in his makeup and in his ability, his baseball IQ, despite the fact that he is such a young age, just 20 years old. Doesn't seem like that's specifically going to be something that will hold Carlson back from being promoted at the end of the spring camp, um, but there could be a lot of other factors that that do play into that, and we'll, we'll cover them all on the show here as we go along. Now, shifting topics just a little bit, we do have a listener voicemail question for today. Going to be a lot of bullpen talk. I'm going to bring that to you right after this. We'll tell you about Anchor, and then we'll come right back with a question from my friend Nick. All right, thanks for sticking with me after the break. And now I'm going to get right into it. Good question came in. I mentioned it earlier in the show. We were going to talk about some some stuff related to the bullpen and how Brett Cecil factors into all of that. And look, the more you see him throwing, the more you see him getting involved it's natural to start wondering, okay, what's this going to play out like? And that's kind of the main topic surrounding uh, the question that Nick asked me here. And so I'm going to play that for you right now, and then we're going to get right into answering that question before we wrap up the show. Hey, Brendan. Love the podcast. It definitely gives me my baseball fix before the games start. I have a question about the number of lefties that could potentially be in the bullpen. Looking at it now, we could have Miller, Webb, Cabrera, and potentially Cecil, if, if healthy, all fighting for spots. How many lefties do you think they will keep, especially with the three better minimum taking effect this year? Thanks. And I appreciate the question from Nick. You heard it there. I think it's really a relevant conversation at this point in time because, yeah, there are a lot of lefties in this group that are competing, and a lot of times, typically, you talk about wanting to have a couple good ones in your bullpen, but... You don't want to necessarily overload your bullpen with too many left-handed pitchers because that can kind of limit you against predominantly the the types of hitters that you'll be seeing most of the time, and that's righties. And so you'd like to to have mostly righties facing righties, lefties facing lefties. Obviously, as Nick mentions, again, thank you for the question, Nick. As he mentions at the end of that, you know, the three-batter minimum is definitely going to be something that can come into play for a lot of teams this year as they institute that new rule where you can't just be a loogie. You can't just be a left-handed guy that comes in, gets your lefty like a Randy Choate uh, would used to do, and then you're you're back to the bench and they'll bring in somebody behind you. That's not going to be possible anymore with this new rule. And so 
basically the guys that are going to really thrive in bullpens in the major leagues nowadays are guys that can be versatile and they can throw against lefties and righties. And that can look like anything. It can look like a right-handed pitcher who has good splits against left-handed batters and managers in some cases can use those guys more predominantly against lefties because the numbers dictate it. And because they say we're kind of forced into the spot where you're going to have to face three batters, no matter what, unless you're coming in for, you know, the third out of an inning, but then the risk is, okay, I've got a guy that I only trust against lefties and a lefties at the plate with two outs. If I throw him out there and he gets the guy, great. We're good. There's no issue the end of the inning, he doesn't have to start the next inning. The rule does not extend beyond the individual inning that you're pitching in. But if he doesn't get that guy and you've got, say, a a tough righty on deck, are you going to trust that left-handed pitcher to face that righty? In 2019, there's almost no way you would have. In 2020, you don't have a choice. And really, your only choice is not bringing that lefty in in the first place. If you're concerned about, okay, what happens if he doesn't get his job, uh, get his job done, that can really allow things to snowball on you. So taking a look at the stock of what the Cardinals have in this bullpen as of right now, as far as left-handers projected to have an opportunity. And they're the names that Nick mentioned in the question. Andrew Miller, he's a lock. Tyler Webb, barring anything crazy, I would say under any normal circumstances would be a lock because he's a guy that doesn't have options. He was used a whole heck of a lot. Go look at his usage last season. Mike Schilt trusted him with with a ton of games. Now, a lot of those games weren't high leverage situations, so you can make that argument that sometimes it was more mop-up related for Webb, but the Cardinals like him, and he doesn't have options, so I don't think he's a guy that's going to be going anywhere unless he really gets blown up in the spring for whatever reason. And even then, a lot of times they're not looking at the individual performances of what your numbers are in that small spring grapefruit league sample size, they're looking at, you know, the the process behind it. And so if they're satisfied with the process, I don't see any reason Tyler Webb would not be in that bullpen. Now, okay, you mentioned Henesis Cabrera, and I, I've praised the website Roster Resource before on the podcast because it does a good job usually of telling you, you know, how many options guys have, things of that nature. Looking up uh, the Cardinals roster on Roster Resource this morning, no sign at all of Henesis Cabrera. So I don't I don't know why that is, I, unless I just did a, a Control-F flub and spelled his name wrong or something, but I checked a couple of times. But anyway, you look at his baseball reference page. We know that he's got options left. He's only been involved in Major League action for like one season, and so it's not, not even a, a question as to whether he could be option to the minors. Probably what's going to happen for Henesis Cabrera, barring changes or injuries uh, that that are going to, you know, shift the the status quo of the bullpen, which I should mention right off the top as we get into this conversation, the last time, I think it was like early last week, just before I got to Florida, maybe Monday of last week, where I talked about the bullpen and what I projected it could look like. But that was before Miles Michaelis got hurt, right? So I said, things are going to change. And even though that's a guy in the rotation that gets injured and probably is not on your opening day roster, it does affect the bullpen because back then we were talking, okay, is it going to be KK or Carlos Martinez shifted to the bullpen? Or would it be somebody else like Hudson or Wainwright? Like you had six starters for five spots. Now you, in theory, have five starters for five spots. Again, this will change with the next injury update because they always happen. You have to brace for them and be willing and and ready to adapt to them. But as of right now, it kind of makes the bullpen situation work itself out. As we said, these things often do. So count Carlos back in the rotation. Count KK back in the rotation just for the sake of this 
exercise as we work through how many lefties for the Cardinals bullpen. You're going to have some righties in there. That's going to be Gallegos. That's going to be Brebia. That's going to be John Gant because he's also out of options. Brebia has options, but I don't think they're going to be using them because he's going to be a, a central figure in that bullpen. Could even have a, a shot at the closer role if things break in the right direction for him. And so with Gallegos, Brebia, Gant, that's three. Miller, Webb, that's five. I've said Helsley is a guy I'm pegging for a bullpen spot. I'd rather see him as a starter. He's entered camp as a starter. Last year in the bullpen, he looked really good. He could throw triple digits. There's there's a lot to like about him in that role. But he talked a little bit about how in that role, he kind of lost confidence in his curveball, a pitch he threw a lot of the minor leagues as a starter and abandoned it in St. Louis. And so this offseason, talking to Mad Dog, Mike Maddox, the pitching coach, asked him, look, uh, how would you feel about coming into spring as a, as a starter, starting a few games? And Helsley said, that's great. That's, you know, that's what I was in the minors. That's what I would like to continue to be. Um, you know, even though you could see an avenue toward a very successful career in the bullpen for him, I think there's a lot to like about him as a starter as well. And as Mike Schultz said this morning regarding KK, the question was asked, I think Brad Thompson asked it. Uh, he asked, you know, does KK's stuff play in the bullpen? And Schultz said, we've learned if a guy's stuff plays in the rotation, it plays in the bullpen. So you don't have to pigeonhole Ryan Helsley into a bullpen role before you need to. Go ahead and see what his stuff could do as a starter, because if it plays, as I will repeat time and time again, we've talked about it often in, in reference to Carlos Martinez, it's better to be a starter than a reliever. If you could be a quality starter, that's a more valuable role to a team than being a quality reliever. It just is. Inherently, you're going to throw more innings, you're going to have more opportunity to impact the game. And so for me with Ryan Helsley, I would like to see him be given that opportunity. You know, the ship had kind of sailed on Jordan Hicks, even though if you recall, what got him actually into that Cardinals bullpen at age 20 or whatever he was that first season back in 2018 was his final performance of spring when he pitched, it might have been as many as five innings as a starter and looked lights out to where the Cardinals were like, holy smokes, we we don't need to wait on this guy. This guy can help us win games right now. And so that's what the Cardinals did in in bringing him up right away. They saw he could impact the game, which does kind of pigeonhole into the uh, conversation we had earlier about uh, Dylan Carlson kind of relates to that. The Cardinals saw an opportunity with Hicks, and they said, look, the guy's ready. He can help us. We're putting him on the club. Now, the ship did kind of sail, though, on him as a starter because they just saw 105 in the bullpen and said, screw it. We're not doing anything different with this guy. And then the Tommy John happened, so you can argue, like, who knows what would have happened if he would have been able to hold up. Probably not. He would have had to have that Tommy John eventually. Most guys often do, especially when you throw that hard. But with Helsley, I would like to see him get the opportunity to potentially be a starter. Now, he's more valuable in the St. Louis bullpen than he is in the Memphis rotation. I don't know that you could justify it. Uh, you know, you don't. Do you have enough bullpen weapons to say we can afford to not have Ryan Helsley, who could very well be your closer at some point during the season if he proves himself uh, deserving of that role, which wouldn't surprise me at all based on his makeup and, and his skill set. I don't think you could justify putting him in the Memphis rotation to say he's the first guy up with somebody gets hurt. Like, say, from here on out, the starters that you have in that group of five stay healthy and there are no changes, and that's your rotation. KK, Carlos, Wainwright, Hudson, Flaherty are your five. And then you say, well, Helsley is a guy we really like as a starter. He really proved himself, and he, he looked good in spring. So we're going to send him to Memphis to be ready for when that inevitable injury arrives. Now, I don't know if you could do that uh, because I think he could be a value to the bullpen. 
But if more injuries happen in the rotation and suddenly you find that you have a, a spot maybe for a Helsley in the rotation who's looking good, I would totally be open to, to seeing that play out. But for right now, I think what's most likely is for him to end up in the bullpen in St. Louis to start this season. Um, as injuries happen, we can we can kind of change course on our opinions on that. But right now, I'm going to count Helsley as part of that major league bullpen because I just think what he brings, the Cardinals are going to be so enticed by in a late-inning relief role that that's where they're going to want him. And I've got Alex Reyes in a similar boat where I would love to see him, if he looks good, stays healthy, be considered for a starting role. I just don't know if you can can justify just having him down there in Memphis in reserve unless you think truly his long-term career is as a starter, which certainly before all these injuries, that was the case. Helsley, there had been questions of, well, is he going to translate or will he need to shift to relief when he gets to the big leagues? We'll we'll have to wait and see what that looks like uh, if he has enough going with the variety in his pitches to be a starter. But he's worked on that curveball, and so that could be a weapon that, that he tries to you know, he's brought it back, worked on it the offseason once he found out he was going to be a starter in spring. We'll see how that plays when he gets into real competition and if that's something that could give him an extra element of, you know, dimension to his game as a starting pitcher. But for right now, kind of going over what the bullpen would look like. Helsley's in there for me. Reyes is in there for me. That's what I had said. Uh, won't go into too much more detail than I already have kind of talking around that topic. Um, but I But I talked about it too last week. But you look at it, that's two left-handers in Miller and Webb. Five right-handers, based on what I'm predicting, in Gallegos, Brebia, Helsley, Reyes, and Gant. And then, because of the injury, you do have one more spot open. Now, do you have a right-hander who absolutely demands that spot? You know, Junior Fernandez, Daniel Ponce de Leon, Austin Gomber is a lefty. Some of these guys, though, that we've seen in St. Louis, we saw them last year. Genesis Cabrera is a lefty. We saw him in St. Louis last year. Does one of these guys demand that spot? Probably not over a Brett Cecil, who could potentially be a third lefty out of the bullpen, and then you'd have a lefty in your rotation in Kwon Yun Kim. So you could make the argument that if everything else stayed the same and Cecil had a fine spring, that because of the way the options pan out, you don't have to have Cabrera up. You don't have to have Junior Fernandez. You don't have to have Ponce up. uh, And you might like to see him as depth in your rotation. You know, I don't think that long man, long relief role is as valuable to a team as potentially a guy who, if you think he could be a quality number three, number four type starter, which Ponce de Leon could do. I think a lot of people in Cardinals Nation maybe view him more as a number five, as a fill-in. But think about it this way. If he were on the Orioles right now, he might be their third best pitcher. He might be their second best pitcher behind John Means, who was rookie, uh, not rookie of the year. He got some rookie of the year votes and was an all-star, but those kinds of teams don't have a lot of talent. Like the Cardinals, you talk about people worrying about on Twitter about their pitching depth. I get it. If injuries happen, I absolutely get it. But I, I have to disagree with the notion that when healthy, this group doesn't have seven or eight actual, maybe more quality starting pitching options. You could make an argument they have up to 10 with like Jake Woodford as your 10th, and that's even with Miles Michaelis out right now. I won't go through all of them, but if you want me to, I can do it on a future podcast. But that just goes to show you, like, you do have some depth, and Daniel Ponce de Leon could be valuable, in, more valuable as a starter than he would be as a St. Louis reliever. Put him in Memphis, be ready for the inevitable to arise, have him be the first man up, or maybe Gomber, if he's healthy and able to do the same. Whereas, I just think with what Helsley and Reyes bring, their component to the bullpen, you could see where that could be more valuable in a late-inning relief role. Uh, they throw a little harder, they have a little more, you know, high-level stuff that really could play. And so... 
kind of getting back to the question, we're, we're dancing around this topic of how many lefties in the bullpen. I would say Cabrera, probably not because of the options. All the other guys I mentioned, probably not because of the options. And that leaves Brett Cecil, potentially, if healthy, I think is your third lefty in your bullpen. I think they go five and three. That could change. There's a lot of time for it to do so. But to answer the question, I think that's what it would look like if uh, you know if things progress positively health-wise for all the people involved. So once again, thank you to Nick for the question. And you guys can ask a question if you'd like to. It's anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And then it goes and prompts you to record. You can do it from your cell phone. The microphone in your phone can do it, and then I can play it on the podcast just like I did today with Nick's clip. So I appreciate Nick for doing that. Would love to have others jump in and do the same. But that's where I'm going to leave you guys for today and wrap up the podcast. Appreciate you guys sticking around for this episode of B-Shape Daily. Of course, as always, you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your listening pleasure. That's where we'll be. Subscribe and follow the show. Would love to have you guys on board. Until tomorrow... This has been another edition of B-Shape Daily.